Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. My name is Ben Myers. I'm a residential market research analyst covering the southwestern Ontario new housing market, but you knew that. You listened to the show. Uh, We have three awesome guests today to discuss financing, debt, equity, and the mortgage market in the greater Toronto area. But before I get to them, I want to talk to you about the tremendous sponsor of the show. Did you know that the Toronto Under Construction podcast is sponsored by BCGI, Barron Consulting Group, an executive search firm dedicated to the real estate industry? Since 1995, Robert Barron and BCGI have completed over 1,000 searches on behalf of developers, investors, occupiers, and lenders across North America. Their scope includes acquisitions, development, asset management, finance, corporate real estate, and board directors. BCGI has established partnerships with pension funds, REITs, fund managers, searching for talent. They are a trusted source for career advice and guidance for real estate professionals in North America. They can be reached at www.bcgi.ca. All right, we got uh, we got the good stuff out of the way. Let's let's jump just jump right into it. Uh, I want you to tell me of my my guest here. I want you to tell me who you are. Where do you work? What does your company do, and what do you do there? Why don't we start on my my right here, Jeff? Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me on this show. Really appreciate it. It's lovely to be here on this uh, wonderful afternoon. You know, Toronto. It's a mild February day. Yeah, you know? it's uh, summer in February. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so my, my name is Jeff Wagner. I'm Marcus and Milchap Capital Corporation. Canada Inc. Uh, we just uh, launched the the business in Canada, and so they tasked me with uh, sort of starting that. We're a uh, mortgage mortgage broker, mortgage banker. Sort of, um, we do a little bit of equity raising as well. And uh, Marks Milchap is a well established brand in the U.S. Uh, we have a capital corporation set up out of New York, so I've, I've been tasked with launching uh, effectively the Canadian division uh, of of that company. Uh, team of one right now with some analysts and support staff, but uh, pretty excited to be here. And effectively, we're doing mortgage brokerage uh, with some existing clients as well as supporting our investment sales professionals. Interesting, interesting. All right, Devin. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. Uh, Devin Cranson, Cranson Capital. Uh, we're an exempt market dealer. We focus on raising capital from accredited investors, family office, institutional investors, mainly for real estate and mostly development. Uh, we currently have 23 active uh, development projects across the GTA, um, mostly in LPGP structures. And um, we put up the equity, we partner with the developer, we manage the GP, and uh, we share the profit with the investors when the development's finished. Awesome. Awesome. Brian. Uh, I'm Brian Dorr, uh, founder, president, CEO of uh, Dorr Capital and Real Alt Investments. We operate mainly in Ontario, GTA, Greater Golden Horseshoe, and we provide structured financing for our borrowers. And we also match that to our investors with, you know, we match our investors good opportunities, risk-adjusted returns on various developments, mainly in debt, tiny bit of equity. 
what am I working on? Uh, I deal with a lot of stakeholder problems right now. <laughs> so that, that's my main, my main uh, objective. Not normally, but in this market, that's what I'm doing. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's, let's jump into it. I mean, the, uh, you know, I, I don't know a lot about the finance market. I only touch it on, on the outside. So I apologize for our seasoned real estate veterans listening and, and, uh, and, and hearing my incorrect slang on, uh, on in terms of, in terms of how this whole, whole financing side works but let's 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 jump right into it crystal ball uh type of stuff jeff you did a great uh you know interesting linkedin post uh, at the end of last year um and you said some of the you know the key mortgage themes for 2024 were liquidity 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 uh you know adapting to higher rates borrower balance seats uh, development and repositioning assets lender credit losses and not cycling capital as quickly so let's 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 jump jump in on that can you you know double click on two of the points there, uh, can you you know kind of expand on your thoughts? What do you mean by by borrower balance sheets and and lenders cycling capital quickly as possible? Yeah, so borrowers balance sheets and, and cycling capital. I mean, it, it, a lot of it relates. I mean, the, he- the headline is liquidity, 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 and and right now cash is is king. I mean, it's colloquial saying, but I mean, it it, it resonates you know a lot in today's market given the increased interest rates, given the high cost of building materials, given the trade supply shortages, you know, given our immigration sort of uh, somewhat inefficiencies absorbing new Canadians. When you, when you're building these projects, you know, you have to have the borrow balance sheet. You have to have, you have to have the capital support it. Your, your development approvals could get protracted. The timelines are a little bit all over the place, notwithstanding counselors are, yeah, hey, we can build anything you want. Let's go. Oh, did I say it's going to take three to five or seven years? <laughs> and so, like, you know, the ability to support those projects through that, ability to support the project um, through the pre-sales, if you, if you launched and perhaps it didn't go as well, you know, can you put put additional capital in to get that construction loan? Uh, can you cover your trades? Can you cover your overhead? And so, like, a lot of the projects are still viable. We need them, but there's some short-term hiccups, and that that's related to the, the balance sheets. The other thing is about cycling capital. I think you, you talked about it. And what's happening is a lot of the banks, and I'm noticing, so they have allocations in terms of their ability to fund land loans. And a lot of that relates to some Basel III requirements and, and just general corporate strategies. So when they put a land loan on their books, the objective is for that to mature into either an asset sale or construction loan in, in some reasonable time period. And to the extent that that reasonable time period was 12, 24, 36 months. And if it stretches beyond that, you know, they're not recycling their capital and that capital is not available for new entrants in the market. So they can't up finance other projects. And so you're getting a bit of a, a situation where, you know, the, the, the bigger, more well-capitalized developers still have viable projects, but the market slowed down a little bit. And I think that's what you're, you're sort of having to deal with this year. Now, Back half an extra, I think. You know, guys, feel free to chime in, Brian. And, uh, <laughs> well, right? I was going to say, I, I agree with <laughs> what you're saying. Other people have uh, yeah. uh, great okay. opinions. Okay. Too, well, I, I think you're stealing all my thunder because I don't think I have anything else to say. Your liquidity is a big problem. So, uh, and if anybody doesn't think so, just ask a developer. So, so. And, and I, I would tend to agree. If you look, I mean, uh, Ben knows the the numbers. I don't think very many projects that launch got enough to get their construction financing. Yeah, so I think there was five out of thirty-two launches in 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 
2023 that got over 65% sold. So, so those yeah. other 27 guys <laughs> are sitting there trying to figure out how to extend the land loans because they're not going to be able to get to construction financing in the new year, which they probably planned. And um, there's probably uh, profitability in their in their um, plan, in their projection, but that is slowly going away with uh, the fact they can't get the price. They got to do incentives um, and interest is going to cost them more. The carry is a lot higher than they probably budgeted when they initially purchased the land, I imagine. Yeah, and the carry is there, but I, I'm a big advocate of, of, of you know, blend and extend. I mean, I, I, I've been a historically I was a lender for say 15 of my last 20 years in, in, in the business. And, and I, I think you know, a lender, especially an alternative lender, maybe not as much some of the senior lenders, but really you should be a partner in the business, right? So if you're doing a loan and, you, and, you, and you're in good communication and you have an honest, transparent uh, development partner and there's still some profitability in there, really you should be, and I encourage this now as a, you know, as a mortgage broker, work with your borrower, extend the loan, increase the facility, like, you know, Putting undue liquidity pressures in in the context of today's market, I don't know, is a great strategy. Yeah. Longer term for for both your relationship, the end product, as well as the, the developer, you want to leave some skin in the game to, to incentivize them because a lot of lenders don't want to, like they're not going to manage the development. So you want to incentivize and continue to work with a lot of your partners to make sure you have a sort of a viable project, right? I mean, there's some some instances where it just it doesn't work, and you know you shake hands, and I guess you you, you know yeah, well, <laughs> you have to sell the asset. But if you don't think the developer is being honest with you, that is the yeah, yeah. honesty, 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 honesty. I I, I it, if you're not working with an honest person. Yeah, that's a no, big problem. I mean, in our problem. industry, everyone's honest, so it's quite rare. But I experienced that, yes, lots of honesty. <laughs> but I think going back to something you said, and maybe Ben can chime in on this, is that if a lender were to take over the project, there's no land transactions happening. So what's what's a lender going to do with development land in downtown Toronto right now? Like, yeah. and They're going to hold. Yeah. <laughs> The lender's yeah. going to hold. So you'd rather the developer hold that, and the lender makes some interest than yeah. the I, lender I was, hold. I was having a, a, an argument <laughs> with, with someone on Twitter. There's a former guest of the show. And I said that I think development lands are probably down about 40% in value since 2019, right? In terms of in terms of what people will, would pay today if that land was on the market. So that's the issue that the well, lenders yeah, are looking yeah, at if they yeah, were to I, take I, over I, a no, property, that's, right? I've experienced a little bit of that. Um, and I think you're correct. Well, I, 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 think, I think it's correct. Too, but one of the things, I mean, down 40%, I mean, if you need a spot transaction in today's market, perhaps you're correct. Now, the sellers, in order to sell into this market, right, and, that, and that's where you have this bit of a caveat, you're a distressed seller. Yeah. And, and you're going to get buyers who are potentially bottom feeding, potentially vulture funds, potentially hoarding capital, looking for a great deal. So I, I think you're probably correct in terms of the decline, but you just have to caveat that. And like most people would prevent selling, try to bring in a partner, do that kind of stuff. So I, I think you're not seeing the product on the market. And so the stuff that is on the market perhaps is, is the worst. We're seeing in the market because the, um, some of the rule changes and really the, the planning department in Toronto's attitude towards development has completely changed in the last six months. And I think it's because there's been an old guard that's moved out and the younger people that are working there have all experienced what goes on in Toronto housing. Yeah. And so what we're seeing is, you know, land value might be down, but go ask for 50,000 more feet and you might get it. Yeah. And then your land value is back. Yeah. 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 Good point. Good point. One of the things too, we're noticing, like I, I work in an investment sales office, so we have a national presence and then even you know, some presence out of, out of New York where we're on the sort of the North American capital calls is that, um, 
one of the things that you're, you're seeing is bigger is not always better right now in the context of the market. So historically bigger, for a long time in our careers, interest rates are going to bigger is better, build a bigger project, build a better project. I mean, small is not, is, is difficult too, but you're seeing like sort of the more the boutique size where guys can come in, maybe 10 million, maybe 20 million, maybe 30 million, you know, those bite-sized projects are moving a lot more quickly. Yeah. Uh, and as well as uh, sort of more premium sites. So smaller, sort of really advantageous sites, you're seeing those hold value better than your sort of longer term large land plays, but whether it's low rise or in the high rise context, big, big developments. So it's, it, but, but it also speaks to liquidity. Yes. Be, because speaking for myself, I'm still lending money, just not as much. So it's uh, because you don't want to take the exposure risks or you just don't have people paying you back, so you just don't have enough money. And I think you're, you're going to see people saying, oh, yeah, 10 million, that used to be my 100 million. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. And you're seeing that not only on the res side, but on, on the investment sales side too. Yeah. So you're going, you're going to market, I mean, uh, you know, 30 to $50 million buildings better than a hundred to $150 million. Yeah. I think, I think I've told this story before, but I had a client that, you know, I did a land valuation for, and it was an you know, off transit site and, you know, really nothing had been built in the area other than like, you know, six to eight story buildings. Right. And so he had a, he had a plan with, um, you know, four, four towers, so about 45 stories each. So he had a lot of GFA. And so, you know, he looks at some of the reports that I do and, 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 and sees the, the price per buildable square foot. And he wants to apply that to the entire site. And I was like, no, you have superfluous GFA. <laughs> He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, you've got, you know, you got a lot of GFA approved there, but it's more than the market can absorb at this current point in time. Right. So it's not worth what you think it is in comparison to these eight story buildings that are, that are, where the lands are, are trading. So I think we're, we're actually getting into a point in time in our, in our market where there's there's a lot of these 905 sites with just too much GFA, right? Like four 55-story towers, right? And it's like, unless, you, unless you've got those 80% of investors, you're not going to sell a 55-story building in the suburbs off transit without, uh, you know, with a lot of investors and buying the, those And that's the problem in the market. I mean, jumping ahead to what I was going to talk about <laughs> later, um, it's exactly that. The, the investor buyers are the ones that are missing from the market, and they're missing because the cost just the cost, even if they bought a unit at cost, still wouldn't carry on the rents that they're going to get. <laughs> yes, so, yes. Um, so it's impossible to build something for an investor right now. It's not impossible. It's very hard to make something work. Um, and so the bigger units, the bigger buildings that are investor driven are the ones that, you know, five of 32 yeah. um, that can't get their pre-sales. And um, what we're focused on for 24 is, is end user product and the low rise, the, the boutique buildings, the townhomes. When someone wants to live there and they can see two or three years out that they could actually move in, that's what's going to move in 24. There's still a huge need for housing. But yeah. if you're building something that's going to take six years, that's an investor that's buying that. It's not an end user. And they're banking on it, cash flowing at the end of six years and just coming out of this cycle, it, it doesn't look like it will. No, and then they got to pay more for that money. I mean, one, of the, money. One, one of the things too with the investor market is we don't see a lot in in, in Toronto, and you know, I always have my eye open on that. Is 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 sort of more mixed use product uh, that that could attract investors for potentially you know more thoughtful retail, you know, 
I mean, the, the Mizrahi is the one is, is mixed use, but maybe not a good example. <laughs> no, but right. the well was a great <laughs> the well. one. Is a perfect right. example. The well, yeah. where you, you know, that, that's a bigger mixed use where you're like, you have a mixed use site where you have some for sale condos, but have some rental, some retail. And I, I think that'll, like, you don't need, we've had, we've had sort of a run where all the investors are, are buying sort of single single residential condos or floors. If you want to bring the investors back and, you know, notwithstanding the restrictions with respect to the, the res component, you could make a mixed-use product where, you know, you have a hotel or some amenity space, you're having office. I mean, now, you know, all these things have their own challenges, but I think, you know, you're seeing that, on the, like Vancouver's a little bit better, I think, at, at, at some of the mixed-use buildings than we are here. Well, you're, re- you're reading ahead on our questions. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> One of the projects that Ben wants to ask me about is our downtown project that's a hotel and two towers, and it's exactly the hotel paid. Like, we don't have to worry about closing risk with the hotel. Yeah. Um, so we'll talk about that one when we get there. <laughs> but Jeez, um, but also, um, we have a site at Donnells and Eglinton, yeah. and we had to convert from, uh, it's an office building, and we had to go through the process with the city to allow residential, which we just got wow. uh, in the last year. And a lot of Donnells and Eglinton is getting that because it's going to be a big residential. There's two subways there, but it makes sense to build an office podium, but we get our value drops when we put that in our pro forma. If you did it all as residential on paper, it looks yeah. better. Yeah. Um, but you, we think office makes sense there. It's going to have two subway stations, and there's going to be other office there. Um, yeah, office is a tough one. But office doesn't look good on paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> well, uh, um, yeah, it just uh, you know we had a uh, guy named Anson Kwok from Pinnacle on the podcast. We talked a little bit about how you know maybe that's the way that we go in the future is is buildings with that might be half rental half ownership condominium to get the density that we need because you know i i think i've talked on this podcast several times about you know our market is dominated by investors investors have not been buying for cash flow for five seven eight years they've been buying for capital appreciation and we just you know the pandemic threw everything off you know we had the emergency level low interest rates that 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 sparked demand but we also had you know product inflation we had you know, development cash. charges go up. We had, you know, delays in, in, in approval. So in costs, you know, up, what, 35, 40 percent for some of these residential buildings. So we had this, you know, a bubble in pricing and then the resale market didn't follow the same. Uh, so we're, 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 we're I think we're in for a bit longer of a correction than than maybe some people are 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 buying into. But I was talking to Brian before we started about, you know, developers in their positivity and just the way that you, if you're in this business as a developer, how you ha- really have to have an ego and your ability to turn this this property into a into a fifty story fifty well, story I mean, building. You can't really be like a like a depressed developer. You want to last What do you think of this project? Wow, I don't know. The other thing you have to be is highly self confident. Yeah, for sure. Like you pretty much don't yeah. think anything you do goes wrong, and you have to be resilient, which is yeah, what yeah. we're seeing in the market. The ones who are resilient are able to figure things out. And and, and if you're not resilient, if you have a lot of cash, that works. Too. Too. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to what, what Ben, you just said about um, a mixed use between a rental and a condo, we are seeing that because of rental replacement, where someone buys an existing rental and they have to do it. Yeah. But it doesn't really work. And maybe back to the lending guys. Yeah, um, I agree. If you were going to do a full rental building, you're going to get CMHC, which is the only reason why you're able to do. You get the HST yeah. rebate and then you get CMHC. But if you build a condo, you're not going to get the HST will still be there. And you're not going to get the CMHC financing. Huh. So I don't know how you, I mean, you know, I, I agree with you. I think, I think because of cost changes and the, 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 you know, 
cheap financing is gone. I'm not sure it's the most efficient way for an investor to buy rental is through a condo. Yeah. Let's face it. A purpose-built rental is cheaper, less you don't have to worry about decor. You don't have to worry about. And now, if you if you qualify for MLI Select, you can do ninety percent loan to value. Right. So, so you're getting the cheaper financing. So, it would probably be more efficient for an investor to buy a REIT than it would be to, you know, buy a unit. Yeah. So, uh, and maybe that would also be better for um, the rental market because you know, purpose built rental uh, gives you security of tenure. These are all these issues that are people are running into cause you know, Oh, I'm going to take yep. the unit back. It's going to use it for myself. It's all yep. not true. So, uh, maybe it's a good thing. I, you know, I think raising the bar, I guess raises the game. Yeah. So you're, how about you, how about your clients? I know you work with a different, a bunch of different developers and, 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 and in Jeff's uh, little LinkedIn, he talked a little bit about, you know, repositioning of, of assets. Are you having any of your clients considering moving from condo to rental? Or are they, are they shifting their approach? I know that I'm doing a lot of rental studies for condo developers now these days that at least they're, you know, they're sniffing around the, the rental game and seeing what that looks like. I am looking at a lot of I'm doing a lot of underwriting, which is similar to what you're doing. So it's like I'm, I'm researching it. I'm you know modeling it. Uh, I think we're at a tipping point. I think the HST is good. I think that's you know causing the interest. I don't think we're quite there. I think what we need is some sort of municipal incentive, either you know faster approvals, lower taxes, lower DCs. Well, there is Cash. a DC deferral, but not a lot of guys know about it, yeah. which is a big help if you can actually qualify for the mm-hmm. DC deferral. But I think it needs to be something more. I think what you might see is certain municipalities figuring something out ahead of other municipalities, and perhaps it'll encourage rental. But like, if you model it out, the condo still makes more money. So you know, it's, it's hard to tell somebody to yeah, make the valuations money. and stuff like that. I mean, the the uh, I don't know why either the government's not a little bit more like you could do real estate tax holidays. That no one's really. I mean, you're you're moving in the right yeah, direction. Yeah, there's things that I mean, don't happen. I agree. There's there's there's, there's things that there's, like, there's I've seen the tax that, incremental financing in other cities, right? You know, they give you your, you know, they they, you know, don't charge you tax for ten right, years. Right. Yeah. And stuff exactly. Like that, ten, right? fifteen years. Okay. Don't pay property tax for the first, yeah. uh, I don't know, ten years, and that, that I mean that that'll that'll go directly to your pro forma. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the the HST is helpful. I mean, there's even you know, can you get some different credits for for labor or other things and well it's interesting because you see who is building are the pension funds and they don't pay tax so right. <laughs> <laughs> so if you if you could level that for other developers you'd probably see a lot more interesting. interesting i did not i did not know that I, I i i'm on zooms every once in a while with these pension guys trying to understand the the rental market and uh you know my clients trying to elbow me a little bit speak nice to them speak nice to them well so. they don't they don't pay tax and they have much longer windows and they don't yeah. need an 18 irr so yeah. they're looking for lower returns over a longer period of time and they don't pay tax so they have, yeah six percent is great yeah yeah <laughs> but, but in reality that's probably what you need for rental so you know it, it, we've had crazy low cap rates for so long that everybody thinks there's going to be more cap rate compression yeah yeah you know. well i think it goes back to what you said before about condo um still being more valuable. And I think condo is only more valuable if the sale price works, right? Like if, if 1600 a foot can't work downtown anymore and it's 1400 a foot, well, that doesn't even work to build. And I, I'm going back to something that Ben said on one of the reports for our <laughs> rental building is if rents in Toronto are going to five bucks a foot, Ooh. then, uh, 
we'll be in a lot better spot for for rent. But the way you know underwriters write underwrite today, CMHC, is they don't look at the future rent; they look at the rent today. Um, but if there's you know one of the things that I keep preaching because we are doing purpose built rental, we're trying to raise money for for purpose built rental right now, um, is that if no one starts construction in 2024 on new projects, you're going to have no completions in 27. 24 is going to look great with all the inventory that's coming on the market. The rents will probably go down. So you know most people in the market that read the sentiment will think it's not a good time to invest in rental. But if you're forward thinking and you look at 2027 completion, 2028 completions, there will be none. So, or very little. Yeah. So, rents probably will have to skyrocket because yeah. they'll be the only, uh, like there just won't be we any only inventory. 13,000 condo sales last year, right? So, that's already probably half of what we would need in the marketplace. But then you add on the fact that only five of those projects actually got to 65% sold. So, a significant number of those 13,000 will never actually get built, right? So, it may only be 6,000 of those units actually get under construction. So, I mean, in 26, 27, like, rental rates could go go through the moon right so and then that's, that's one of the other challenges i mean you're, you're talking about there's i mean there's product and then there's affordability now i mean we're all for-profit developers so affordability is i mean you know you put it in the corner you're like oh, okay whatever whatever that's someone else's yeah. issue but it's societal from a societal perspective it's, it's quite prevalent i mean you have different yeah, you yeah, have yeah, different yeah. other needs and so how, how do you how do you include not only building profitable rental for investors and pension funds and and other 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 people, but end users and making that product affordable. Like five bucks a foot is, well, I don't know. You can you can make your own conclusions upon that, but it's starting to get a little it's, bit it's expensive. Not, it's not affordable, but relative that, to incomes. But, but and then, affordable uh, housing is a really difficult t- topic. So. Uh, Jeff, I did work in affordable housing. Yes, you did. Yes, I, you did. did. You're, you're, the, ex- you're the expert. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, but the inclusionary zoning with respect even to the apartments, like how does that going to work? But, 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 the, but you're the, yeah, go ahead. But I was going to say, it's not as simple as people think. Okay, so, so you can't, you know, they all say, oh, let's get developers to do it. They should do it. I go, oh, come on. <laughs> Would you go out and spend money that not deliberately make a profit? I mean, they'll build it for you. They have no problem doing that. They may even own it and run it for you. They, we did a the Strong Start program, which was, I guess, in the early 2000s, and I think I financed like 80% of it. Um, they were getting $150,000 a door back then as incentives. Wow. And you were getting real guys, like, like solid developers, not fly-by-night guys. You're getting real developers coming out, building really good product, owning it, managing and committing to it because like, they have long family offices and all this stuff. So, you know, they were they were committed to it. And maybe some pension funds. We we, ha- we don't have that going on right now. We don't have any municipal incentives going on right now, and costs are super high. It's not looking good for affordable housing. <laughs> like, I, like I, I, I go, you know. And then all, the other thing too is we have one concept sort of in Toronto of what affordable housing should be. Right? There's there's you know I'm seeing stuff in in the West Coast in the United States where they have this sort of temporary housing type stuff to get rid of homelessness mm-hmm. in in certain areas like you know in Seattle. I go. Well, they had a lot of NIMBY there. They, they, they don't want people in five-year solutions. But maybe we got to do something. Yeah. we we got to think creatively. And uh, the government, unfortunately, the taxpayer is going to have to help. Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think really just provide, you know, just say, developer, you're, if you're going to put in affordable housing, you're, this is what we're going to give you. We're going to give you more density. We're going to, you know, waive your DCs. We're going to, you know, give you... A, property tax uh, abatement or defer, you know, uh, XX year bill, you know, any of the costs that come from municipality, they should be, you know, waiving some of them to get, hey, yeah, get it built. We're, we're looking at uh, doing a project in Calgary right now. 
has affordable in the mix. And when we see that kind of thing here, we kind of run away. Yeah. There's no DCs in Calgary. Wow. Yeah. You can actually build an apartment building and get rents of like 2,500 a month, like reasonable rents and make it work. Wow. So yeah, that's the solution. Get rid of the DCs on rental and or make it an affordable rental. I, I honestly think the DC thing, like a lot, you actually talk a lot about bedrooms, right? And yeah. how people talk about units, but they don't talk about bedrooms mm-hmm. and how many people you house. Make the DCs on three bedrooms nothing mm-hmm. or very little. And guess how many three bedrooms you'll have in these buildings? Yeah. Like yeah. you've yeah. got to find family oriented housing. It's got to be in apartments. It can't be 500 square feet. And the way the current DC structure works, you could manipulate it a little bit to get people, builders to build bigger units. Yeah. But I do, I do recommend like when I'm doing my, you know, sweet mix recommendations for developers on rental buildings, I do say build three bedrooms and they say, well, they're expensive. And I'm like, yeah, but the world is changing. Affordability is getting squeezed. And eventually we're going to see a lot more, one person, one person, one person in those three bedroom uh, units, right? And it, and co-living, yeah. And we have Student we have residents. the we have the ability with apps and all these things to properly match up people and 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 just allow them to rent that one bedroom within the unit without being responsible for because that's the big issue, right? If you're a single person and you're renting a three bedroom with two of your friends and then you know two of them lose their job yeah, or yeah. screw off or whatever, me moving in with my girlfriend and then you're on the hook for this, you know, you're part of that $1,500 of the 4,500 for that unit. Right. So I think that's hopefully something that we can get hold of. I know there's a few groups kind of doing that matching tenants up and, uh, and, and work actually working with the purpose built rental developers. Right. So the other thing that we're looking at on, we call it attainable housing is back to what I said before about end users and townhouses and stacks even mm. for years stacks were a dirty word in toronto and <laughs> now underground parking is not affordable well that's <laughs> you don't need to do you don't need to do underground parking and um, there's so many little strip malls and little sites that's that can't true. take a tower but could add 60 80 100 units and you can sell those homes real they're real homes they're like over a thousand feet for a million bucks i know it's not affordable but that's attainable in toronto mm-hmm. well at least you're in toronto yeah that's, well, and even the, sub, the suburban Toronto, we're looking a lot in Scarborough and Etobicoke because I think those are great markets. <laughs> but even the suburbs, you could do the same thing with the stacks. And I mean, a lot of people have done towns in the suburbs already. But so let's. Yeah, I know we talked a little bit about rentals. So I'm gonna uh, maybe skip over that one. But I, um, well, maybe not. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll jump on that one. It says Feds unlock another twenty billion for low cost rental construction financing. This is from a CTV news article. Uh, it's the federal government's unlocking $20 billion in low-cost financing for the construction of rental housing across Canada, according to Finance Minister Christia Freeland. Uh, the Canada Mortgage Bonds Program, which raises funds for residential mortgage financing, uh, the federal government says the new funding will boost rental construction by 30,000 units annually. So, Dev, I know that you, you know, you mentioned a little bit that you're you're getting into the, the rental market uh, uh, game in, in, in May of 2021. Cranston Capital raised and invested $8 million into the Pine Mount Gorman Park Limited Partnership. The LP will enter a development management agreement with Pine Mount Developments to build a purpose-built rental apartment in, uh, in North York. 
you know, so what, what do you think? Are, are you, did you, you know, take advantage of any of these federal programs? Did you use CMHC loans? You know, maybe kind of walk us through, you know, how you made the numbers uh, work. And, and then maybe on top of that, uh, for, for people who are interesting, what, is, what does the exit look like? Because this is not like a condo where it gets paid out. You know, how do you, how do you get your, your investors out of a deal like that? Yeah, those are, those are great, great questions. And just going back to the, to the news article, I love the way the media portrays these things. <laughs> the CMHC hasn't, has a lot of money and they haven't been able to put it out. And now they've announced <laughs> that they have more. Um, I hope that they've, and I think that they have, I hope that they've hired up and that they are able to move the applications quicker. Um, and we are seeing that a little bit. Um, on this project in particular, we did get a CMHC uh, certificate and it's under the MLI Select program. So under that program, you have to meet certain criteria. And we went for the sustainability, which is, I think, the easiest one to meet. And we did geothermal, which is also, there's a good, lot of great geothermal guys in the city that make it easy for you to do it as a developer. Um, so we hit the criteria, got us 90% loan to cost. Yeah. So when you talk about comparing condos to, to apartment, the biggest issue is in the condos, you always got to use the deposits. So you could put up 10% equity and use the deposits and the deferrals and get a 70% loan to cost. In the apartments, you couldn't do that. You might get 75% conventional before. Um, so you always had to put up 25% equity. And with CMHC, if you can go to 90 and you're only putting up 10%, it's much closer to apples to apples. Um, it's still not the same in did terms of the revenues. Did you have the, the option of going more, like to 95? Or did, did, well, you just need there... to get the rents to support it, though. That's yeah, the other key. I think that's the <laughs> issue, is that the rents... Uh, I, I think 90 was the max <laughs> we could get. My you clients could go, are getting so angry at me. <laughs> you, you, you could get to 95, depending on the location. And that's where, actually, we're looking in Calgary. It, you the prairies, can, it works better. It works uh, better. And it's the actual, the, it's yes, the, um, yeah. the new, it used to be called the RCFI, but RCFI, they have a new yeah. name for that program. And yeah. that one works better in some smaller markets. It doesn't really work in Toronto. And I, I saw that they had a big, you know, groundbreaking out in Etobicoke with the federal minister there and talking about it. I still don't know how that project qualified for that program. Um, I'd love to know. Um, and I would love to see the RCFI work better for Toronto. Maybe there are some specific rules that they have to change to make it work here. It's kind of um, weird when you have these federal programs. Oh, it works really nice. And I mean, Moose Jaw and Red Deer. And, uh, but that's the Brandon problem. They have to like make it work across the country. But well, the markets are so different. You need different qualification criteria. I mean, you know, your, your, your biggest markets, we have a housing shortage. Oh, you see me, so you max out 78 we did his application, he gets 78 loan to cost. Well, it says 95, I know, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. You have to have rent. You have to, be, you have to pay the rent. You have to be able to, to Wait, get man. there. And, and this one is in Clanton Park. It's going to have great rents. I mean, Ben did a great report on what we're going to get there, and um, I think it's going to do really well. When we originally invested, um, we thought there was going to be 13 million in profit. That was the plan on the 8 million investment. Uh, our pro forma today with the HST savings and what we're seeing now is construction costs coming down yeah. Yeah. Um, is we're, we're north of 25 million. Like we went from 100% return to 150% return for investors. Now we're taking a year longer, um, but you know the HST and the CMHC combined have really helped that project. And those projections are based on future rents and we don't know what it's gonna be. It's gonna be a couple of years before it finishes. Um, but in terms of an exit, the developer we went into the deal wanted an exit. So the deal was that we were planning to 
to have an exit at the end. It was one year of stabilization, and then we would look to sell. And we built in a right to purchase because we want our limited partners to have the option if they want to stick around. Um, so that was how we started the deal. And um, halfway through the deal, the developer came to us and said, uh, "We might want to stick around with you." Oh, so, okay. um, so we'll we'll see. I mean, it's we have the flexibility to do either either or. Um, twenty six completion, twenty seven exit is the plan. And if in twenty seven someone's going to give us a three cap, we'll probably sell it. Um, <laughs> but you know, if it looks like we can hold it and the investors are interested in holding it and it's got great cash flow, um, I mean, I believe that that's the model we're trying to do. Purpose built rentals now, where we invest in the development, but the plan is to hold them. And you're buying a cash flow stream and putting your development profit into that future stream. You can refinance when it's finished and take cash out. But I think it'll be a lot more attractive for investors who are looking for future cash flow streams. It's also more stable. More stable, yeah. Do you have a sense, I mean, the listeners might want to know, and I, I wrestle with this sometimes, the HST cost savings, is it's not, everyone's like, HST is 13%, but nine you got or some 10. credit. Yeah, yeah, it's 9 or 10. 9 or 10%, yeah. yeah. Which is significant. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah, a yeah. lot, but... It's the same it's as the land. Land should be 10%. Right. <laughs> HST was 10, it's 10%. It's a big uh, savings. Yeah, yeah. Because you had some credits before and they sort of topped it up. So that's where you're at. But it works better outside of Toronto. The HST? But, yeah, because you're not paying H- Well, like, The land is, is the biggest part of your cost here. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, just the HST in general across the country. Well, across, I don't know if every province matched. I know that Ontario yeah, matched. Ontario did, yeah. Um, but it, across Ontario, it's a huge, it's nine to 10% savings on your, on your pro forma, which is huge. Wow. Um, and, but, some of those performers still weren't good enough even <laughs> yeah, with that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, so if land is the right price, if rents are going to be the right price, and if you can get the right financing, yeah. if you're doing if you're doing financing, the the takeout is a big thing. If you're going to take out at six points, it's I don't know if anything's going to work. No. And that's 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 one of the stumbling blocks that we we see a lot of investors go on the takeout because the the rates have been so volatile lately. It's not so much does rental work, does the cost work. It's also what is my expectation of a yield in four years yeah. when this project stabilized and our interest rates going to be and this, we, we saw this out of the and this is one of the reasons why investors are a little bit tepid is because you know our interest rate is going to be two or six <laughs> I don't think it's going to be either but you, you're getting I'm giving you some extremes <laughs> but, but CMHC wants you to they want to confirm the takeout a CMHC takeout letter so when you go into the construction so at least in our experience CMHC will give you a letter to say we'll do the takeout mortgage and the lender who's lending the on the CMHC program wants to see that you have that. So you know you're going to have the CMHC um, takeout, which is cheaper than, than market. And one of the things that we've been talking to some developers about, if you borrow from, um, and you guys will probably have some comments on this, but if you borrow from an institution that has a money market, um, you can hedge. Yeah, so, yeah no, no, I, hedging's huge if you want to do that. I, I, if you're going into a development project and at six percent you're dead and at two percent you're making tons of money, if you can get a hedge on the future interest rate at four, but, what, but what do you have to pay for that? But but a four-year project, the hedge is going to cost you a lot. Yeah, it's expensive, it's, and, it's, and then, a, and then it be you, like a, it's, it's insurance policy, and you can win or lose on it. Yeah. yeah the problem the problem with a hedge, and, and I you know I've done a lot of these in the past, but the problem with the hedge, and I used to sell a lot of them, so you know, I got paid. But, uh, <laughs> so, so, but the problem was that. Let's say you finish your project, you know, you, you said, I'm going to be done and have my rents ready to go 24 months from now. Okay, great. Yeah. That's when your hedge 
comes yeah. due, you have to buy it that day. Yeah. And, and you know, they, so it's month 20 and they go, you know, I still have occupancy. Can't extend your head. <laughs> so yeah. I said, that's great. You just spent all that money for nothing. And well, by the way, we're still adding that to your loan. Yeah. So, so it, it's not so good. Or, it's almost like you over, you have to overextend the hedge because you don't know how long. You have to take it really long. And then, then they also don't realize that, well, what if rates are lower? Well, you can take the lower rate, but you still got to pay for the hedge. Yeah. So you build yeah, it into yeah, your pro forma. Yeah. And if rates are lower, it has to work that if rates are lower, you're winning. It has to work that way. Yeah. Yeah. Because the other real risk that nobody talks about if you don't get the hedge is that ceiling rate. Because I'm looking at a lot of deals, you know, I'm looking at it right now and they're going, yeah, yeah. I, can you buy my CMAC paper? I said, great. And, um, it's got a three, 350 ceiling rate. I go, great. Do you have like 3 million bucks? What do you mean? You're not funding. You're, you got to buy, buy down the rate. And uh, that's another risk that people run into. Yeah. Yeah. So the volatility, like the volatility interest rates. I mean, if you look at everyone's having a magnificent time right now because rates dropped, say, 100 basis points over the last uh, 90 days, and so it's it's, it's quite positive. And, and then some of the volatilities come out of the market. So on a, on a valuation perspective, and, and if you look at the, there's a big gap between the short and the long term rates mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Your, your bonds and your your short term yields, which are you know, 5% overnight rate or seven and a seven and a seven twenty uh, prime type of thing. And so that like the, when the rates were higher and those, and those volatile, you're seeing, you're seeing massive swings on a daily basis. It, it, it impacts investor sort of sentiment. And then, you know, right now, even, even now you're watching, Oh, you know, inflation is 3.4% and people, Whoa, <laughs> everybody's off for off, off, off. We're not doing anything for 30 days. We're going to see how what's happening. And or, or, or you get a positive employment rate. Yeah. It's just like, Oh man, oh, there's so many jobs. There's so many jobs. <laughs> or, or the shipping lanes in the Red Sea. Right, yeah, shipping lanes in the Red Sea. The Panama Canal's drying up. Or like, yeah. <laughs> well, let, let me let me wrangle you guys back in. I oh, want to talk about, about yeah. you know, it's great. No, it's a great conversation. But uh, I'm going to um, you know talk a little bit about rising financing, construction costs could stifle supply growth. This is uh, an article in the Financial Post. Um, it has some information from CMHC. It says, Kevin Hughes, CMHC's deputy chief, in 2023, growth in construction costs has slowed to varying degrees across all major markets, but remains elevated in Toronto and Vancouver. Right now, the inflationary context it is really much more difficult for people to get their financing. So we're probably going to see some delays, definitely in several projects, you said. Financing is one of the issues, uh, but it's not the only one. And here's a separate article from uh, uh, um, a website called Urbanized. It said, in a bulletin this week, based on a survey of developers, CMHC indicated that 90% of respondents to their poll of residential developers indicated traditional debt financing is no longer feasible for their rental projects. And two-thirds mentioned that operating in the, in the current financial market is increasingly challenging. This, of course, due to Bank of Canada's heightened policy interest rates, uh, which is uh, sent borrowing costs soaring. All of this is coupled with a 50% increase in construction costs for equipment, labor, and materials, and growing development fees imposed by municipal governments. So, so I'm going to direct this question to you, Brian. Um, given that some some of the challenges developers are facing with their projects, uh, you know, how's your underwriting changed in the last 18 to 24 months? Are, are you fundamentally have a different mindset about uh, the deals you're doing than you did two years ago? Uh, well, I guess short answer is yes, <laughs> uh, but. but um, the way we underwrite, the methodology hasn't changed. We, we, we use models. 
Okay, I've been at this for 30 years, so I'm going to say I've been using similar models for at least 15. Um, <laughs> so, so, but, you know, we tweak them. So, so what's happened, it's really about the assumption. So the, we always start with the end in mind. So it's the exit values that are changing. Uh, we always, you know, work back to a residual. So that's making it more difficult. The other thing we're doing, which is probably like every lender is doing, is we used to, you know, get a lot of information from our borrowers. We'd read it. We'd, we'd you know, agree, maybe not agree. <laughs> now I basically assume it's all wrong. <laughs> so, so, so I go, okay, yeah, that was like, you, you gave me that six months ago. That's no good. I need, I'm going to have to research this myself. And, you know, we, 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 that's why you're probably getting more business because yep. we don't believe anything we see anymore. So, so it takes longer to get through, through the material. And then so that the bar has just gotten that much higher and the loan amounts are getting lower. Uh, so, you know, it's harder to get stuff done, even, even with private money. It's just, it's just, it's not what it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm surprised. You know, I do some underwriting like in-house for some smaller lenders and, uh, it is surprising sometimes that they disagree with my valuations and I'm being, you know, I, I am being pretty conservative, but they still want to do deals. You know, people yeah. still want to do deals and, uh, and if they feel I'm being too conservative, they might, you know, they'll, they'll call me on it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the market is just so slow I and mean, you look at the comparables, you can see what the asking prices are. Cause the new home market is based off of asking prices. You very, very, um, you know, you don't really get the sales, <laughs> the actual sales prices. I, I wish uh, I could get some of them. Um, obviously, I, I do work with Baker and they have a lot of great information, but, um, you know, there's just not a lot trading, which makes it even more difficult well, well, to, and going to, back to, to, to put that current value on. And going back to like the question of where you were going, I wonder if you can rely on the cost consultants because they, they've obviously lived through this escalation and are the reports that they're giving you, do you believe them? Are they, do they make uh, sense? One of my analysts actually is a cost consultant, so I'm gonna go with the short answer is sort of. I, I, you know, I like their models, we, we like the way cost consultants do things, but I think, again, I think we're still suffering from the market was going in an upward trajectory, certain things didn't matter, the certain checks maybe didn't matter as much, now everything matters. And uh, the ability, you know, this, this, the, the idea of coming in with a tight budget so you can make your equity numbers, that's a really bad idea. Uh, although I would argue the one thing that has changed is I think everything I agreed with in the recent CMAC article, but I think costs have actually come down. And I think that's a momentary thing. I don't think, I think, I don't think our trades have gotten any bigger, but I think there's just less demand. So I think um, for the moment. Yeah, for sure. Trades are calling and asking yeah. for work. Which and they I, didn't do for years. <laughs> even on the cost consulting, I think, I mean, they generally do a good job, but I mean, I, I don't know that you can, uh, what they don't do is adapt to market conditions. So that's what I'm basically it's asking. A, it's a whole story. They're, they're not adapting to market conditions. And I, I think they, I, I, I like cost consultants and, you know, sometimes they're quite wrong, but in, in some instances, I don't know is it's is their fault and I, I don't necessarily always fault them. When you have, I can't get the windows, so I put the price in for windows, now there's no windows and so, you know, you're waiting for your windows, they're supposed to come from, you know, uh, Holland. <laughs> somewhere, Holland or, I don't know, Southeast Asia or they, you know, truck turned around or they got, the thing got hijacked and so, or the price of windows shot up or this glazing or that paneling and then you're like, it blows the budget up. Well, I mean, that, I don't think that's their job per se. I mean, hopefully you have your contingency enough and you have liquidity to absorb it. But, you know, you know, they always get blamed on the ups, which is, which is what we're normally seeing right now. We're in a rising inflation environment. And so people are pointing the fingers at cost consultant. When prices are falling or more stable, they're great. <laughs> but again, again, this is a lender slash cost consultant issue. I think one of the things I experienced was 
the the control system that you normally have in place with a cost consultant and the amount that we rely on it as lenders, I think that needs to change a little. Um, to think that they're, do your, they're your primary control system when you gave them these parameters, which were super easy for getting financing, is a really bad idea. Um, and, and you want to you, you want to avoid, you know, you know, potentially there's massive mistakes. Yes. You know, oops, our, our forming is off by uh, seven million dollars. Well, your work in place. <laughs> you, you thought you you, you were funding on a work in place number that. Is, that is inflated, which is really bad. Yeah. So uh, I didn't check any of the invoices, yeah. or, or I mean, you know, are you doing bank recs? You're not doing bank recs, and you know, you in the high rise component, you see a lot of it. In, in, it's informing. It's a, a subsurface, and it's informing. I mean, that's where a lot of your your problems exist generally. I mean, we know there's a, we, we all know a few developers we've seen. What happened here, guys? And <laughs> but I'm I'm hearing forming is coming down a lot. That's the the area where where construction costs are coming down yeah. the most, but. What do I know? <laughs> no, that, that, is, that is what we're seeing too, because there's nobody yeah. starting new projects. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The former guy looks at his calendar for 2024 and it's wide open. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think that unfortunately, I think that's a temporary thing. Yeah, uh, for sure. I, I think getting back to affordability, it's not going in the right direction right now. So it's just, well, it's it's all kind of part of the cycle, right? Yeah, everyone yeah. says everyone expects interest rates are going to go down. The market's going to come back, and if the market comes back, then your costs are going to start to go up again. So it goes back to what I was saying before about purpose-built rental. Get in the ground in 24 because in 25, everybody assumes we're going to have a more balanced or stable or healthy market. Yeah, yeah if you have the capital. So how are you looking at, at deals right now, Devin? You obviously provide provide equity, but you raise capital from from investors. Is If the deals are there, if you found a good deal, would the investors still be on board with you? Yeah, well, it's very interesting because I think the high-rise business is challenged to raise capital for. Um, but as I was saying, before, we're focusing on kind of two things, a purpose-built rental and end-user product. And um, a developer came to us with a amazing site in the heart of the Forest Hill Village and um, putting together a six-story boutique luxury, like three-plus million dollar condos. And investors jumped all over it. Um, I mean, the pro forma looks really good. It makes a lot of sense. Um, it's what that market is looking for. It's the one market that is still pretty strong. Interest rates don't impact those kind of buyers the same way. Um, so investors jumped on it. I think what we're seeing a little bit, and we're going to talk about it, I guess, in the next question, is um, there's a bunch of capital going back to these investors, people who are in deals. Um, they invested in 2014, 2015, 2016, maybe 2017, 18. In your even. deals or in other people's deals? Both. <laughs> okay. um, and so we're seeing a lot of these investors with cash coming out, okay. and they're saying, where, like, they were, where can I put this? Yeah. Can I can I put in another deal? Um, and so we're trying to do more townhouse deals and and rental. And uh, if we see on see another luxury one, and it's got to be the right location. Yeah. Um, but end user product, even some low rise stuff, I think is interesting to look at. Um, we would still look at repurposing where it's um, like a rezoning in, entitlement play where you don't have to worry about the market for a few years. Um, so there are places to go. I just the one that I think is hard to to do right now is high rise and mid rise is really price driven. If it's, if it's 1800 a foot, it's not going to sell. If it's 1500 in the right neighborhood, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, you have a few long-term deals with uh, with Plaza. You have investors that are, you know, looking. They would be willing to stay in for five, seven, ten years into deals. Uh, I don't think anyone goes into it with that <laughs> intent. Um, but I mean, we can we can talk about the one that. Well, I'll talk about another one other than the one you're going to bring up uh, later. Um, we have a project at Young and Finch that took us five years just to do the zoning. But through that five years, we made $35 million in a land lift. <laughs> so we got our construction financing. We gave back investors 80% of the money. And now the profit looks like it's 200% return because you have the land lift and the profit. Wow. Um, so wow. people are not complaining on a nine-year deal when it's a 200% return. Yeah. Um, you know, if a deal went nine years and is 100% <laughs> still return, they're not going to be so happy. And there yeah. are some of those out there. And then we have projects that we just don't know where we're going to go. Um, some of the suburban stuff, we just, it's too uncertain right now. We would love to be able to, you know, put the same pro forma we did when we raised the capital together, but it, we don't know if we can get the sales price. We don't know if we can convert to rental if we'll get the rents. Uh, we don't know if we flip it as a land site, what we'd get for land. Um, so it's a waiting game for a lot of that. So I think it really depends on the product. Um, and I think that... We've seen others in our space um, raise capital for longer term, like seven, eight, nine, ten year deals, uh, mostly on like land. Yeah. Um, and investors did really well on some, so they're coming back for those, and they're not opposed to it. Um, but I think in general, investors don't like any offering that says it's more than five. Interesting. Interesting. Well, let me read uh, an article here. Um, this is it's called. Something borrowed, something new, the rise of alt lenders. And this was from the Ontario Home Builders magazine from that's actually from last year. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read a couple quotes here. It says the tightening of traditional financing parameters has pushed some developers, builders, into an alternative lending space for the first time, as they may require more flexibility in their deal structures. That's from Michael Carraher, the VP of Mortgage Investments at, at our friends at Firm Capital. They are a non-bank lender that has been providing real estate funding to small, medium, and large builders and developers for 35 years. It says, land financing is very tight in today's marketplace, concurs Ricardo Plabi, executive VP of Door Capital. You might be aware of this fellow. Yes, I know him. <laughs> Construction loans are getting tighter for less experienced developers. It says, Door uh, Capital operates in the private debt market has placed $2.2 billion in loans with private and institutional investors over the past decade. Door Capital's business has grown significantly since it was launched 13 years ago, with the average loan size of nearly $19 million in 20 2021 and close to, uh, and some deals close to 200 million. Door's underwriting process is stringent as it wants to be assured that developers can get necessary approvals. It does thorough market research and uh, on aspects such as location and demographics using its own internal resources as well as third-party consultants. Yeah, I like that third-party consultants part. Now, internal, you know, you need the, you need those third-party guys. Uh, it involves budget review in addition to timing, cost escalation, and risk assessment to determine whether a developer or builder has the necessary experience to carry out a project and can candle the scale. So, Brian, certainly. Um, you know, um, has any of the above commentary that you've, you know, that, 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 that I've just read, has that changed over the past year and, you know, with further rate hikes, you know, how are, how, how are borrowers kind of, uh, you know, uh, you know, in your, in your mind, you're, you talked about your underwriting, but how are borrowers approaching, you know, the market today and ones that, that have sites, how are they approaching, you know, kind of cash flow issues? Okay, so let's start with the first no, part. No, it's kind of a three-part question. Yeah, okay, so let's, let's start, start with that. Let me unpack that. Okay, so it's, can it be more true? 
<laughs> or yeah, it's changed in the sense that I think I'm understating what it's like right now, or, or we are. I think everything's gotten. If we were stringent before, I think we're like extra stringent. I, I don't know what the word would be for that. And 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 the liquidity is 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 much tighter. Uh, I'm working on a land deal with Jeff. I mean, it's it's hard, right? Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it's uh, it's perception uh, to a certain extent right now, and so it, it, it's mostly, you know, if you're, there's probably a capital shortage right now in the marketplace. Yeah, yeah. Given given the, the what has happened, like everyone dumped capital in real estate because hey, everything's going up. We got population increases, and you know, the streets are paved with gold. And now I think you know people are realizing you know you're getting a bit of a capital exodus. You're seeing some value decompression. So there's probably there's lots of capital sloshing around, and the people that do have a lot of liquidity and are looking to place it are I would call them more selective. Yeah. And v- so very uh, they're, they're yeah they're selective, and and so they're trying to say well, you know I'm uh, I'm getting. You know, I'm talking to different lenders, Brian included, and some of the. I'm, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting four calls a day. So, you know, obviously, you can be more choosy, uh, just in terms of what you're doing, and 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 a lot of these sites where where they're having delays, you know, what does that look like? And oh, can you refinance this? Can you do that? So, there's still a lot of money around. It's just gotten more conservative on a loan to value basis and more expensive, and. Uh, a lot of my job right now is educating customers, borrowers, clients in terms of you have to adjust your expectations. So we can we can we can execute something for you and we can do it in a timely and efficient, effective manner. But it's going to cost you this or you're going to have to put more equity and you're going to have to go to investors to raise. And well, I think I don't you're want, answering I'm, my question, Jeff. <laughs> oh, I'm very sorry. <laughs> Fire back over it. Fire back over to you. Fire back over to you. <laughs> Okay, you can tell Jeff and I work a lot together, yeah. just, just an FYI. <laughs> so, well, one thing that I, I was curious about for the, for you two is, um, and the debt market in general, is, and we talked about a little bit, there's a ton of completions coming. And so, from my perspective, at least the think there's, I know a few big banks that are going to get $500 million loans repaid, they hope, and I think they will. Um, so, I think that, I don't know all the lenders, but I think there will be a lot of lenders that are getting paid out are going to look to redeploy. And I know the banks can reposition and lower their yeah, real yeah, estate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, the Cameron Stevens, the Atrium, the Atrium's the firm capital, like the guys who only do this are not going to reposition to other lending. They're going to want to lend more back to development if they become flush with cash. That's their business, right? Well, well speaking for myself, yes. Obviously, we want to stay in the business. But even what, like back to what Jeff's saying, like we did a lot of mezzanine financing. I don't think that's something I want to do necessarily, right? Because I see that risk as almost basically equity now. So, so I'm like, okay, no, we'll do more first at the same price. Uh, we'll definitely look at that. Same well, price as Mez? Pretty close. Wow. Because so what we were getting 12% on Mez, we're easily getting that on first now. Wow. On landlords. On landlords. Yeah, yeah. landlords. Or, right. yeah, or, or even a private construction loan that's quirky, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Like, you know. So, uh, and at lower loan to values. I don't think that's going to last forever. We'll change with, with things. But I agree with you. Well, we want to put money out. We're also looking at, like, call it more like distressed situations where there's high value add. We'll, we'll, we'll look at that stuff. But are you in that boat of lots of loans coming off the book in 24? Uh, I wish. Yeah, I think I am. <laughs> yeah, like I, I would call it the, okay, so back to, I think Jeff, uh, Jeff pointed out, there's a lot of people saying, okay, they're gonna, this is, I'm going to get into the second part of my question. So what's happened is, is that, that a lot of liquidity stuck. 
Okay, so I got I, we got guys in a lot of land loans, and I think you mentioned it earlier. You know, okay, we're supposed to go to construction. We didn't launch. Yeah, in the land loan, I'm, I'm seeing that. What I'm more of the completed projects. I just feel like there's so many well, what, projects. One of the, on the completed yeah. projects, I mean, one of the things, it depends on who's getting the money back and how their source of capital. I mean, if you look at, and, and I think the, you have to segment the market in yes. terms of who's getting the money back and who are their clients. If you're a, a, a large financial institution and you're getting money back for your core clients, well, you've effectively mapped out the projects you're going to do over the next five-year period with those clients anyway. So you're just recycling with your, your, and, and your top five builders. And the loan sizes are probably double the size anyways. And the loan sizes of builders, you're running yeah. into caps, they're syndicating more. Like your hold, your average hold, even for the large institutions, they're syndicating more to diversify risk. Um, the, the One of the big challenges is the deposits at the, at the banks right now are becoming, because of some of the Basel III and other restrictions, are becoming more expensive. And so they're, they're actually getting... Uh, squeezed a bit, right? So they'll probably have a little bit less cash to lend yeah. in this space. Generally, uh, it'll be a little bit more expensive. But so let's say you're a tier one institution, you're getting back your key clients. Okay, you're going to go lend them, you know, really cheap pricing, really great deals. The tier two clients, you're 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 uh, an investment fund. Perhaps you're open at a mortgage fund. Perhaps you've gated redemptions because you don't have any liquidity. Perhaps you get money back. You're not relending that. Right, perhaps, yeah, and, and then the and then on the private side, I mean, your your, your clients, you know, you're they're they're re-upping with you. I, there's probably, generally speaking, a bit of a pullback in terms of allocation of capital to real estate in the overall context because of where we are in the cycle. I mean, you you know, in retail investors or some of the institutions are looking at you know the REITs. Allied wrote down five hundred million dollar office. Now, is that it's not residential construction, but I mean, you're looking at your REIT portfolio, you're like, oh my goodness, right? You know, is it more efficient and effective to allocate capital to different markets? And we're seeing that a lot. Capital is draining out of Canada, especially on the mortgage side. Rates are higher in the U.S. So if you're a lender and you have the option of doing a loan in Canada or the U.S. and you have that infrastructure, you're reallocating yeah, more capital to the yeah. U.S. So you're you're, you're seeing uh, capital leach out from that perspective and that's an easy example right i get i can get and, and I, we do a lot of cross-border stuff so like the meslin loans everyone thinks oh mes loans look at how expensive they are in canada i mean the u.s is more expensive i mean you're you, you know you're <laughs> add three to five percent and then uh, wow right um now the bigger economy growth economy so you're you know are, is it coming so question is it when it, is it coming back some of the institutions will reallocate that capital some of the institutions are reorganizing and redoing their book look at oterra they just they you know they merge there's like you know global things repositioning you know are they allocating capital to the us are they allocating capital to asia probably not europe as much i mean there's different growth markets so you have to look at i mean there's segmented top clients are going to get it there's the overall capital the capital is coming into the real estate space looking for higher returns and you know, I think you're the the lower tier, so the new developers who are coming in. They're gonna to, have a tough time. They're gonna have a tough time because the, the funds that, as the banks and stuff have pulled back, you're getting a the yield requirements for the mid tier developers is increasing from a debt financing perspective, and so you're gonna have probably a bit of a consolidation and concentration. Like it's hard to sort of, you know, Brian Devin. Jeff go together and Ben, of course, yeah. Uh, you know, pool money and we're gonna go build some towns. It's, it's becoming a bit more tricky, I think, right now. Whereas you had, I, I think, over the last ten years, like a lot of guys did really good jobs doing that. You start, you build a couple custom homes, and you buy a little bit of a bigger one. I think that's going to be more challenging. 
because you're absorbing the space. Well, there go are ahead, so ahead. many new developers that have just popped up in the last <laughs> five, six years. That's, yeah, no, that's so, a so, plan. That's a plan for a future episode. We're going to have some new developers on and say, yeah. you know, how did you make the choice to, to do this? I'm obviously there's a lot of people with 10 years, 15 years experience yeah. at a development company, but once you take that reins and you put that hat on, right? I think it's a whole different ball game, right? And I think even I'm doing some studies for first-time developers, and they're like, "Yeah, Ben, but that guy got this." I'm like, "Yeah, but that was that was March of 2022. It's no then. longer this March of 2022. Yeah. It is now <laughs> February 2024, and the values are very different today than they were then." So you're seeing another really interesting phenomenon, and is that like because of the a little bit of the capital scarcity, you're getting what historically would have been equity returns right now in the in the debt space. Yeah. And so let's say if you're looking at, Brian's in tune to this and you probably as well, let's say your first mortgage on a land loan for, a, you know, a reasonably strong developer, 2% lender fee, 10% rate, 2 and 12. Maybe you're, you know, you're all in 12% a year. I mean, that used to be six or seven. And so if you're getting 12 on your land financing, well, what is your equity return supposed to be? And you're going back to the days where you used to get 25 to 35 in the equity, but the projects don't support well, that's that because you don't have sales. <laughs> but hang on. And so. guess, what, guess what that does to land value if those are your expectations? Well, that yeah. just crushes it. But I want to answer this one part, which all, we can all go into a little bit of a discussion on because you asked me two parts. Yeah. And this is a scenario. No, no, you'll love this. So you asked, uh, how, are, how are the borrowers dealing with their cash flow? Yeah. Okay, so I... A bit of experience with this, so um, <laughs> and I thought about it. And I went, okay, well, this is actually the reality, right? So this is like for those students that are listening, yeah. You know, and you think this, you know, when I was a lender when I first started, oh yeah, they seem to be able to make their whatever. I, I don't know how they do it. You know, I go, well, this is how they do it. Okay, so they they don't have any money, so they're going back to their lenders and they're saying, can you extend? And they're not getting good rates, but they're getting extended and they're getting they're getting they uh, they're also being forced to delever, put more cash in. The other thing they're doing is they're waiting forever for senior financing, like waiting, waiting. Like there's this, like there's this golden goose that they think is going to come <laughs> <laughs> and, they're, and they're just waiting and they're not getting their approvals or, or their bank's saying, yeah, yeah, we're going to get to it. I, I swear they're just, that's, I think, a, a court recorded message that they're supposed to send to the client. So they're not, they're not getting that. And then they're also using their trades to finance their projects which you know, none of us lenders like to hear, but that's just the reality. You know, we're not getting liens put on the project, but I, was, you know, I started digging a little because you know, I have to get better at my underwriting and I'm finding out, oh, so your trade payables are now millions and millions of dollars, but you don't have a single lien on any of your projects. I'm like, holy moly. Obviously these guys have good relationships, but that's a big source of financing right now is trades. And if it gets really desperate, they'll start selling off good land which they don't want to do mm -hmm. and probably at low prices. Cause we've talked about what's going on with the land. Yeah. So that's what, that's what the, the, a decent developer <laughs> is facing. I don't know what a new, a new one's facing, but that's what a, like a decent developer is facing. Yeah. I mean, it's, I can't imagine being a new developer in this space. I mean, some of these, you know, like I said, these people, these young guys, mostly are young guys, 10, 15 years worked for another developer and their entire career. We've been in a, in a, an inflationary environment, new condo prices, new, just new, the average new condo price has gone up for 27 consecutive years. Right. So there just has not, there's been, been periods of flatness, you know, and, in during the global financial crisis during you know 2013 2014 and then again obviously you know early in the covid process but otherwise like everything is 
gone up, right? So it's just so hard for people to understand that that pricing is 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 not going to go up, right? And there's just this huge disconnection between the underlying market, the resale market, and where new pricing is. Like there's. I'm, I'm just looking at the, you know, doing doing some stuff in the downtown east. So the resale buildings in there are trading anywhere from $1,050 a foot to $1,150. There's a couple buildings getting $1,250, right? With, with, you know, fairly new. But the new buildings are coming out at $1,600 a foot, right? The Delta is just un- unbelievable. And we just had a, a project relaunch at $250 per square foot less than they launched at last year. Right, so but it's like a fifteen percent. The resale market cut. is below replacement cost. Yeah, I mean that's the issue, right? Significantly less, less, I, right? I do think this is just again, this is just a blip. So people who've got the staying power are going to do well. But where do you think the blip is going to go? Do you think that prices are going to come up, or costs are going to come down, or there's some magic wand like getting rid of DCs or something that the government's going to come and make it work? I don't think it's going to be that simple. I think it's just going to prices be prices are going to go up and, and interest rates are going to come down. Yeah. So, so well, so interest rates coming down will cause prices <laughs> to go up or, or, or at least stabilize. So I think let's like, 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 it's not that complicated. If you think the price of your house is going down, right? Well, you're not going to sell it because, okay, just mentally, I can't handle taking a loss, even though it doesn't really matter because I'm probably going to buy at the same price. So maybe I shouldn't care, but for some reason, I do. You know, I like I love that tax-free capital gain, and I can't imagine that I would lose, you know, two hundred thousand dollars of it, even though I'm buying another house at a good price. Like, that doesn't make sense. And land transfer. Yeah, yeah, and land transfer. So, you know, all of us. I'm pretty sure all of us feel that way. If you want to do it. anyway, so you, even though it doesn't make sense logically, but you know, we would do that. The other thing too is if you know you're going to buy something and you think it's going to go down in value, you don't usually buy. You wait. And so we're in that period. Yeah. I think that the good news is we have a stable interest rate environment now. And I think we just had a recent report in Toronto that actually house prices went up. Yeah, there was a good, there was a, <laughs> there was a pretty good January, right? So, I mean, I think the, I think it's, you know, we're in the, and being in the high rise business, it's such a lagged business, right? You know, sales happen and some of you know, the projects that are occupying today, some of them started sales in 2018, right? And it's now 2024, right? So such a long time ago since the, that that pricing happened. So I think the the process is going to unravel pretty slowly, right? The interest rates will, will will come down a bit. We still have strong demand. Rents will continue to go up. We'll push some people into to buying, and that will slowly start to push resale numbers up. And then we'll see investors start doing the calculations. Okay, if resale prices start to go up 5% a year, maybe I'll pay for this condo at 15% higher than you know the, the, the resale market value. But again, like you said, at 15% above the resale, could they even build it at that price, right? And that's the issue in many of the, the projects. They just can't build it at that price, right? There's a certain amount of large developers who bought their land several years ago and have a low low land base and they have their own construction company and they uh, have the ability to, to take a little bit of a, a haircut and they're, they're what they maybe wanted to, to you know, to, to make on a project. And they've got this pipeline of employees that they want to keep churning through where some of the other, you know, development companies is literally like, Two people, right? <laughs> they outsource absolutely everything, and yeah, okay. This property's got a, you know, donut shop, Tim Hortons, and a whatever. I'll just 
you know, sit on it for, you know, four or five years, seven years, right? So that's until we get to the 26, 27, 28, where we have such a low level of, of completions in the marketplace. And that sends pricing and rents through the roof and the whole cycle starts again. And, right? and one of the things that we, we can do, and it, it's not talked about because it, 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 the, the, the infrastructure doesn't exist right now for it, is the city can be proactive in zoning, now, you know, one, we zone by sort of exception currently. So guys, you buy a piece of land and you have to work, 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 work. It takes a long time to rezone it. And then maybe you exit and then the, the developer who's going to be the builder buys it. But there's a lot of free density that the city of Toronto doesn't like to allocate. I mean, you have, you know, near transit, you have low uses, industrial, some, some industrial space, some, some underutilized space. City so could say, okay, go ahead, put some towers here and let's, 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 let's yeah, go. Yeah, I agree with you. And, it's just and, like, and, it's and, all uh, zoned. Don't worry right. about it. Like I was but there's still in, sites where land being zero and it won't work. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 like that, that, that's of course an issue, but yeah, I was involved. I did some student housing projects a, a while, like back a while ago in KW and at that time on King Street right beside the University of Waterloo and Laurier and this is the city proactively rezoned a giant swath of the street now it conferred enormous land rights on the existing holders that they didn't necessarily benefit the tax from and question of fairness but they did it and then they, they got a ton of zoning I mean the, the city could do that here they just don't and that's one of a cheap and easy way to yeah. save time, save money. And, and you have a really low land cost base, right? Because you're not buying construction, you know, development land is 75 to 300 bucks a buildable. You know, you're, you're getting it for nothing because it's relatively cheap, your air rates. I, I wish we'd had, we just had as of right zoning, right? Just, you know that, okay, Danforth at PAPE, that's 27 stories, you know, there, that's 30. So just go in and, and know it. The, the problem now, I was talking with, 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 with a couple people about this today is, there's too many yam yams like <laughs> that are like taking up the the planning office, putting in applications on their sites, even though they're not they're just the landowner, right? They're just trying to capture some of that value. When yeah, when yeah, call them yam yams, bunch of morons, you know, guys that think they either they want to be a developer or they think you know I can get this density because I'm close to the to this, and then they end up just putting an application for something that a developer doesn't even want to buy. Right, because right. it's, and you know, it's got the wrong, it's got the wrong unit mix. Yeah, you know, it's just taking up all these planners' times, and and then the planning department comes out and say, "Hey, look, we we you know we approved twenty five thousand units." But I'm like, "Can I please get a list of those projects, and I can look and see how many of those applications and those approvals were actually by a developer that has completed a single project in their life, even a." a, a <laughs> house a single custom house but, but right that, that's, that's, and it would probably be 20 percent of those approvals but that's the whole way. point is that you're you're rezoning by exception the city is like i don't know where i want stuff so i'm let let me just sit here and wait for people to submit applications and so i'll see what happens yeah well yeah. and and also back to the the rezoning guys like they exist in the market because we need them there's guys i mean diamond corp is the best they i don't think they ever built a building but they do so much great work on the rezonings professional and, them like in trolley bus are, are great but then there's just so many of these uh, yeah others. so many single owners who have one site and they take it through and it's not what the developer wants yeah. um for sure but i do think that there is a good value play for the ones who know what they're doing yeah. have connections to developers but at the end of the day developers should do the site plan so guys who take it right through the site plan, they're, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, we are, you know, I had some other great questions on here, but we were using up a lot of our time. Let's see if I want to 
want to jump on any of the other other ones. Um, I, I guess I, I, I really should touch on this one because people are talking a lot about it. There's a bit of distress in the marketplace. Uh, we'll read this one here. Lender seeks receivership for Yorkville condo project. And this is from uh, from our friends at Stories. It says, the primary lender on a luxury condo development built in joint partnership between developer Sam Zrahi and Edward Rogers is looking to have the project placed under receivership, alleging millions in unpaid loans. In an application submitted to the Ontario Superior Court of Justice on January 19th, Duca Financial Services Credit Union alleged that the developers have been in default on a loan that was provided to build a luxury condo development in Toronto's Yorkville neighborhood, dubbed 128 Hazelton, since October 9th of 2023 in the tune of $16 million. The amount owing is roughly half the initial $35 million loan provided by Duca in June of 2017 for Hazelton. Although Duca's loan is first ranking, two other junior lenders have provided funds to the developer, Constantine Enterprises for $21 million and Aviva Insurance for $18.5 million. The court filings do not specify how much is left outstanding on these loans. The condo project, which began construction in late 2017, see, going back to talking about those projects that are, you know, several years old, is a nine-story, 20-unit building with um, ground floor commercial space. It's now substantially complete, and eight of the condo units are still in possession of the developers, according to court documents. It's hilarious how the the media portrays this. Um, Aviva Insurance is the deposits. (laughs) Yeah. It's not really a loan. Yeah. and uh, Constantine Enterprises, Edward Rogers, so it's the equity. Yeah. So those aren't really loans. And at the end of the day, the guy finished the building. Mm-hmm. He's sitting on a bunch of inventory, and lenders don't want to give him an inventory loan. Yeah. And that's he he he's stuck. He can't move those units. They could fire sale the units and get their loan out. I believe, and you guys, lenders, tell me he'll find a guy to give him an inventory loan. Yeah. So it's a no, nothing story to me. It's media portraying something that, you know, his other project is a, is a story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think <laughs> they picked the right developer, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So why hasn't he gone out and get an inventory loan? Like he just can't get the value that he wants to pay off the rest of his loan? Reputational risk, to a certain extent. Yeah. Big time. Um, is but if you have Rogers with $21 million behind you. Actually, inventory loans are tr- tricky right now. I mean, I could do them, but I'll give you private rates, right? I'm assuming he's going to get private rates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but so, a lot of lenders even a reputational risk. And, and you know, again, it goes back to Alec and Cabin. I'm going to go get an inventory loan. Okay, what do you want? Here's what I need. Here's what I want. You know, a lot of a lot of guys who, when they go to credit, and I used to be a lender, well, you Google Sam Mizrahi. <laughs> if you Google um, that, you're like, whoa. Um, yeah, how do I explain that? And, and 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 again, it depends on you know. So you, you're you're moving into that market where, you know, the deal's been shopped. There's some negative press. If you have any institutional investors, they don't they don't they don't they're not interested in that. I mean, let's say you're a fund and you have you have an institutional investor. They're not interested in that. Um, so you have to take it to someone who, and it's a relatively large project. You have to take it to someone who's interested in that risk, and then you have to have someone who's going to bite off because the problem with a luxury space, I mean, as you know, is that not only, I mean, this is not Forest Hill Village, obviously, but it's a, it's, it's a decent location. The mo- units don't move that quickly. And so you're not going to cycle your capital. And all the private capital wants to cycle fast. That's how they make yeah. the money. Right. Yeah. So they've yeah. only sold 12 units since 2017. Right. And, uh, you know, that's not a so lot of units per year. Right. You really think Edward Rogers is in for 21 million is going to let a 16 million loan, Lose his twenty one million? Uh, no, I think I think I think you you're thinking like a private lender. Yes, and I agree with you. Right. The 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 other problem you're running into though is there's 
so many things you could put that whatever amount of money you were planning to put here, right? Which doesn't have that same degree of hair, right? Like, so you're going, okay, well, I can lend 20 million just about anywhere I want right now. Yeah. And, 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 and I don't know if this is the one I want to go with. And that's the other problem. There's like so many options for these, these private lenders or, or, or I, even senior I, lenders. I, I think it's good too, but the, the, the other thing too is you have to think about the, the purpose of an inventory loan. The purpose of an inventory loan is because you're, why are you taking an inventory loan? You're taking an inventory loan because you believe that the spot price I'm getting today because you can sell these units. I mean, the market's not dead. What I'm getting today, I'm going to borrow money. I'm going to pay 10, 15 points, and I'm going to make 25 points yeah. in the future. Yeah. And so that that math is a bit tricky, too, because yeah. you're like, wait a minute. Am I going to, am I gonna, you know, these are just going to go up 25 points by taking the inventory loan? I'm like, hmm, maybe just... Uh, yeah. Maybe maybe he was offering an inventory loan and it didn't cover the Duke of Debt. <laughs> so they go, no, I have my inventory. It's called Duca. Because like, inventory loans are great, but you have to. I mean, you have to. Blender has to believe that the, you're going to do something that's going to be better yeah. than selling it now. Always cover your costs. Right, and so yeah. the, you have to have the perception. That, I mean, you, you and and then it depends. It depends on where the leverage point is as well. But. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting deal because people, you know, as you know, the media wants to jump on any story that is negative as it relates to to real estate and and uh, you know when I when I used to run a data company they would they would always call oh any canceled projects any canceled projects well, I'm not gonna tell you what the canceled projects are do you want that, do I do I want that developer calling me and like hey why did you get that information from you right it's like, you do your own research right I'm not your uh, not your research arm right I mean, so the weird part is this is this even that bad i mean he, he got the building built yeah it's no, no, no. i mean you have, a, you have a nice building that's registered i mean no, like, yeah. I, I think it's just duke got tired and yeah. uh, they they just wanted him to sell for less and he wasn't going to i maybe that that might be the story um, did you take it, my loan and reallocate it to cost overruns in another project no oh, that would never happen <laughs> <laughs> who knows who knows what's going on behind the, yeah, behind yeah, the scenes yeah. Yeah. Uh, no yeah. developers yeah. ever yeah. coming there's always a never floor. never there's never been a coming i've never seen anyway heard of that. <laughs> Although I am impressed. The story does usually get it kind of right. I'm kind of shocked at how much they f- figure out. So, uh, you know, having been in a couple of their articles, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I have never commented, but they, they do seem to get their story correct. So, so, so you know, that's but, very but interesting. That's what I, actually <laughs> I don't think there's any factual things that are wrong, just portraying Aviva Insurance as a second lender. Yeah. Well, yeah. Aviva should get out because... They closed on... No, they closed on those units. So I would imagine that... But they, they probably haven't closed on... Well, maybe they haven't closed on all. And the they don't good. remove their charge. They don't... Yeah. They're not like the banks who partial no. discharge. Yeah, so The yeah. insurance guys are on the charge or off the charge, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, so I I don't know what the story on that would be. Because, yeah, if they close the units, they, they they have no issues. They have no no, no liability. One of the fun things, though, I mean, I mean, it's colorful being in real estate. I mean, like it's you know, it's, it's exciting. I, I I have to. I mean, you have to love what you do. I, I I love what I do, so it makes it a little bit easier. But I mean, you get to these colorful situations where having this great conversation. I mean, it's it's chaos, and I mean, uh, you try not to lose money, you try to make money, but like it's it's not without uh, its uh, dynamism. It's in some instances like a you know a soap opera. Here. Yeah, well, it was <laughs> you know the, the, you know the two guys I was talking to today. I'm not going to mention their names, but they just have some amazing. Yeah, it's for telling me some amazing stories. Of about yeah. some of the, the things that some developers do to get across the finish line. Well, one and, of my uh, favorites is always, uh, what kind of car are they driving? 
And oh. it, it, it speaks to sort of, uh, it says different things that it means different things, but I always, uh, I always look at the, do you have a new McLaren P1? <laughs> Why do you have a new McLaren P1? <laughs> what, what, what I find interesting is um, when I hear the agents are going to Africa on a trip because of how many sales they did. Yeah. And I'm thinking, what? <laughs> like, yeah. how is a developer taking 20 agents on a safari in Africa because they did some sales? I guess their sales are from 2018 and they're closing now. I, I don't know, but perhaps some the of those buyers were from Nigeria, so they wanted to <laughs> uh, just, uh, I, I did have a developer on the show that I will not mention where I asked, Hey, how about these trips to Italy? And, and then uh, a person asked for that to be cut out of the show. Right. And, uh, but if you follow these agents on Instagram, you can see all the stuff that they're getting paid for. So it's quite, it's quite a relationship between the developers and the, uh, the top VIP brokers these days. So. And, and I would get it in 2018 and 2019. I just don't, get it in 24 <laughs> yeah well yeah. They're, they're, they're getting good deals and i think the the travel agent pricing. well is any any other last questions on uh, any uh, last comments on distress i know that is you know what people are we're talking I, i'm starting to see some of those distressed sales coming through on the, the you know the cbres and the in the cushman wakefields of the world but and, and marcus and millichaps we, yeah, yeah. yeah i've heard of that uh, yeah they can sell some distressed land for you, right? So. We, we see some distressed uh, developers. We've kicked some tires. It's really hard to take over a project that's halfway through. Um, so, you know, yeah, if, just, it's just along, <laughs> <laughs> if it's far enough along, if it's far enough along and there's not that much left to do, we could see something. Or if it's early enough that they haven't messed it up enough, we could see something. Yeah. But, um, it's really hard to get a handle on when they're in receivership on what's true and what's real. Yeah. And um, you have all the data and all the information, but you really don't know if you don't have the developer at the table anymore. Yeah. And do you think do you think that we're going to see some of uh, these projects just stock construction get tarped off halfway? Do you think we're going to see more of those in 2024? Probably. We're definitely going to see those, but um, personally, those are the things I'm looking for. <laughs> so, so. I, because my investors are, but yeah. uh, the you know it, 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 it also if you have skill, which fortunately I'm old enough and I lived through the '90s, uh, that if you have skill in this area to work with defaults and understand how everything should work and work with lenders, we can pull off some interesting stuff. And I think you're going to see a lot of really interesting recoveries. I don't know if story will report those, <laughs> but, 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 but the uh, you know. interesting you say that because my my partner is a forty year veteran and one of the biggest developers in the city, and um, he was in a whole bunch of Urban Corp joint ventures, and when Urban Corp <laughs> blew up, he had to rescue, and yeah. he rescued for he's on the board of one of the big lenders in the space, and he rescued for them, and he was. I thought of him as like the rescue developer who could fix these problems. And I brought him a bunch of these deals and he just says, no, it's not worth the effort to try to fix. Huh. Interesting. So, um, I think it's better to go new than to go broken is, is the message he gave me. Um, and not every situation is like that. That was just a couple of deals that we looked at that I thought, take it to a guy who's done it before and is good at fixing problems. Um, and he'd be excited because we'd get a great deal. But, but actually I've met, there are developers that have existed for over 20 years. And the only way they get their pipeline is from distressed deals. Yeah, oh. for sure. And, and it's guys. very interesting that they've made a living and they know how to fix it and they know how to position it. Mm -hmm. And I get it. They, they, ne they always, uh, under promise and over deliver every single time. Yeah. And so you, 
when you're working with these folks, you know how bad it's going to be because he's not going to tell you anything that's good. Yeah. So, yeah. but not, notwithstanding that, I think if you look at the dynamics of our market, I know everybody we were talking, it's all risk off, pulling money out of the market. The reality is people should be dumping money into real estate right now. Well, that's what I was going back to the yeah, yeah, purposeful so, rentals, yeah, getting yeah, in the yeah, ground. Yeah. If you don't need to do pre-sales and you can get in the ground, yeah. this is the best time to, to be investing in the in development because in three years, there's going to be nothing. Come get your studies uh, so you can get your MLI flag. So. <laughs> I'll be calling you after this bit. <laughs> well, I'm a distress. I mean, especially to be a mortgage broker and people pay me for advice these days and one, one of the I, I try and counsel like don't don't go into receivership like it's better if you can stomach it it's better for you to fix your own problems sell in advance sell some liquidity I mean don't don't be you know subject to vultures because generally I think it's a worse result um, yeah, it was interesting in, in, in 09 <laughs> there was a few projects that had started construction and then it didn't seem like much was happening then all of a sudden oh hey Lifetime Developments is now a partner oh now Monarch is now a partner in this development and they got completed so it'll be interesting to see if we see more of those with the big boys coming in with their with their construction teams and but finishing can, off some of these I can tell deals. you from Plaza's perspective it was, that was a big thing they did a whole bunch like that where they came in with a developer joint Became the joint yeah. venture partner halfway through. They just kind of went to the back. The other guys just kind of went to the back of the bus. Well, the, the reality was is that the developer couldn't get the financing and needed a guarantee. Yeah. So we went to the big developer who could give the guarantee, and the big developer kind of controlled the project and put up his guarantee, and the project got done. I don't know that the big developers want to sign off on someone else's loans no, right now. No, right now the big developers are, as I talk to a lot of them, some of them invest with me, but... They really are looking for a deal right now. They're 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 shopping, and they're keeping their powder dry still. So, I'm seeing some guys make moves, which is a good sign. Mm -hmm. But these guys have been keeping their powder dry for like the two years, and and then usually they're pretty active. So, and they I've been told I had lunch. No, this is when I make my money. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's gonna be a lot of people who are well capitalized and can jump on opportunity for sure. Yeah, what does Warren Buffett say? Be greedy when others are fearful and. Uh, Fearful and others are greedy. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, let's, you know, I think we've, I've used up a lot of your time, but I don't want to skip over some people's favorite part of the show, which is the rapid fire questions. So I know that Jeff, that you listen to the show. So you're, you're very much aware of the rapid fire section. So I did not include those in your, and when I, when I, when I send out kind of the topic, so I want to catch you off guard. So basically I'm going to hit you with some quick questions. Most of them are real estate related. Some might be slightly off, but I'm just looking for, you know, five, 10 word responses. So, so, so Jeff, I'm going to hit you first. You ready? Ready. Ready. All right. In terms of commercial mortgages, what's better? Fixed or floating? Floating. Floating. All right. Developers that paid peak pricing for land sell and cut your losses or hold for long as possible? Sell. sell. Oh, okay. I didn't think you were going to say that. Should developers that had lands pulled back out of the greenbelt sue the Ford government? No. When you retire, do you keep the low-rise home or you trade down to a smaller condo? Condo. Condo, okay. With Good. a cottage, ideally. <laughs> and maybe a flat a place in Florida. <laughs> a couple more words. Yeah. But, uh, you gotta, you got to be brokering some deals here. So yeah, you can get yeah, three gotta, places. Gotta... <laughs> Do you think there is a market for a developer to build fourplexes and sixplexes at scale in Toronto? No. Um, strangers that talk to you in the elevator, cool or uncool? Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I like new friends. I always like meeting new friends. Yeah. <laughs> That's Jeff. <laughs> Okay. In the financial landscape of the housing crisis, 
Do you think city planners are the firefighters or the arsonists? I, I think they're the rocks on the desk. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good response. I like that response. All right, Brian, you're up next. Okay. Who is your favorite architect? I don't have one. Don't have one. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's all right. You don't have I'm to. I'm a finance one. guy. I'm boring. I, I look at <laughs> yeah. numbers. My favorite architect is somebody who gives me a good financial statement. <laughs> yeah, but doesn't. But doesn't Actually, have... I could say my, the best architects are the worst financial statements. So I, I don't think I have a favorite architect. I'm, a, I'm an accountant. Like that, that's my. <laughs> yeah, you don't. You don't want all the bells and whistles. Yeah, yeah, you want yeah. the, uh, the 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 square tower with no balconies, I love boxes. right? <laughs> <laughs> Um, should developers have to replace torn down rental units in their new buildings? I think so. That's fair. Uh, anything new you're seeing in terms of creativity from vendors to get land deals done? Okay. I'm going to say no, but yes, everybody's very creative to get land done. You know, there, there are lots of VTBs, but it's not new to me. So yeah. it's, it's not, not yeah, yeah. All, all the same all, stuff. All the just, stuff that's, Cause I've been around a long time. So it's all coming back. Oh, I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy your mortgage. I'm going to give you a second mortgage. I'm going to buy down your rate all that stuff. Yes. All, it's, it's all, all coming stuff. back. Okay. Um, it's like vinyl. <laughs> uh, if underwriting housing developments were a sport, which one would it be chess, boxing or synchronized swimming? Oh, definitely boxing. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Um, do you p- prefer to promote from within your organization or hire externally for senior positions? From within. Okay. What do you think of folks that misidentify themselves when putting together a land assembly in order to get a lower price? Do you think that's bad or that's fair game? I'm running away. I don't, I don't think that's good. Run away. <laughs> okay. Last one. Do you allow jeans and sneakers in the office? Yes. I think I'm wearing sneakers. (laughs) And a suit, though. And a suit. (laughs) All right, Devin. Clients that text you, acceptable or annoying? Acceptable. I think the ones who text me are ones who have that type of relationship. Okay. Okay. Um, If you lowered prices on a new condo project and a previous purchaser comes back asking for that price, do you say yes or no? No. Exactly. Should we do away with condominium interim occupancy fees and just have purchasers close right away? Would love it, but it's not realistic. Not realistic. Okay. And we need those occupancy fees. It's in our <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think a pre-construction condo investor would pay $10 a month for condo cancellation insurance for a $5,000 policy? Yeah. I think that, I think there's a market for condo cancellation, uh, pre-construction cancellation insurance. I don't know. I what don't the know what the are. insurer does, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> they own a rental building. <laughs> when you get out, cut off in traffic, do you honk, flip the bird, throw your hands up in the air, yell obscenities, or some combination of these? Uh, tend to honk, I would say. Just a honker. Yeah. Okay, you're a little more polite. Just like, yeah. Depends uh, if my kids are in the car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Who do you think would be a good future guest for the Toronto Under Construction podcast? It's a great question. I know you've had some great developers, and I would just say great developers um, would make good guests. Um, obviously, lenders are great. Um, but if you can find more niche guys, guys who are doing different things, um, I don't know if you've had any uh, student or senior guys in here, um, but... You know, I should maybe get uh, the Pine Mount. Is, is Turk? Is yeah, that his name? Yeah, maybe I should, maybe yeah. should I reach out to Turk. So, okay. If you were invited to two events on the same night, one had Tony Robbins speaking and the other had Benjamin Tao, 
Which event would you go to? Benjamin Tao. <laughs> Even though I've seen him a number of times, I still enjoy seeing him every he is, time. He is an interesting guy. So, all right. That's where we ended off. Jeff, if someone wants to use your services, your broker services, your company's services, where do they go? Where do they, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, the easiest thing is call or email me, I guess. Do I? All right. So what's the web, what's the website? Give me the website. Oh, uh, yeah. My phone number, 416-550-3811. Or you can email me at jwagner at I-P-A-M-M-I dot C-A. Love to uh, speak to you. And uh, thank you very much for having me on the program today. And I look forward to working with you. And always make sure to get your third-party consultant reports whenever you do your performance. Did not pay him to say that. So, Devin, someone wants to invest in a a Cranston Capital Fund. How do they go about doing that? Well, the starting place is CransonCapital.com, but we're also all over social media. We have our LinkedIn, our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, we're even on TikTok. So (laughs) you can see uh, what we're all about through any of those channels. And and they can email me, Devin, at CransonCapital.com and take it from there. Awesome. So, so Brian, if you've got a, a developer, lender, investor interested in your services, where do they, where do they go? Uh, www.doorcapital.com, uh, oralrealalt.com, info for the investors. And uh, you can always uh, email me at bdoor at doorcapital.com. Awesome. Well, again, guys, that was an awesome conversation. It was good back and forth. Some of that stuff went totally over my head, but I'll have to listen to it a couple of times again to uh, <laughs> to figure everything out. So thanks again for your, your time tonight. Well, thanks for really having fun. us. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank fun. you for having us.